We are Natalie and Matthias. We welcome you to our conversations with B2B ecosystem experts and platform founders. Our goal is to uncover what they learned and help you to launch and scale platforms, marketplaces and business ecosystems. Enjoy! Hello, everybody. Welcome to a new show of our podcast, Platforms for Future. And today we talk to a special guest, Henrik Hahn. He is CDO of Evonik Industries. And today we will talk not about only uh, how they are running a platform, how they scale the platform, but we will also do a lessons learned on what they learned from executing this platform. But also they realized that Yeah, the platform itself, the business went not so well as they maybe thought it should be. So they closed it uh, some months ago. And we will talk with Hendrik about this kind of decision. And because this decision is also very special for a very traditional German company, uh, Ivonik. So why they closed the platform, what they have learned. So I think this is a very special uh, episode. And I'm also very, very happy to have my lovely co-host with me, Natalie. Hi, Natalie. Hi, Matthias. And of course, hello, Henrik. Welcome to our show. Uh, hello. Um, I would say um, to not boring our listeners, let's go straight into conversation. So Henrik, maybe you can explain a little bit uh, more about who you are, what you are doing at Ebonic, and also, of course, give a little bit more context. What is Ebonic and yeah, how you started your journey with the platform economics and uh, want to come. Sure. So my friends and colleagues uh, would say uh, enthusiastic, curious, and maybe a little bit of a nerd. So I'm more than uh, 20 years with Evonik and, and predecessor companies. And for the last five years, I've been leading our corporate digitalization strategy and serve uh, yeah, as the group's chief digital officer. Basically, I've always worked uh, at the interface between technology and innovation on the one hand and strategic business development on the other hand. And today's topic is also sort of strategic business development. One of my most uh, exciting assignments, though, was for sure the responsibility for a corporate high-tech startup in the electric mobility space, which unfortunately failed. So hopefully failure is not uh, my track record. Uh, and uh, by education, uh, I'm a process engineer and a rheologist and also a degree in business administration with a specialization in information economics and mathematical game theory. My motto is uh, learning and believing is seeing. Yeah, this sounds very, very good. Also, one of our famous quotes is like... Uh, you will 100% miss your shots you don't take. So learning is always part of the journey. And I think uh, the biggest learnings you can always draw of maybe the things maybe went not as expected or as planned. So it's uh, it's great to have you here in our show and talk with you also about the learning. So you initiated your platform, one to chem about three years ago, uh, 2017, as an internal initiative. So maybe you can give a bit more kind of a context what you have, uh, What was this initiative about? What was the reason behind the narrative behind Ebonic to go into this um, platform business? 
Well, maybe uh, in talking about context, I also would like to introduce a little bit uh, what is Avonic and who is Avonic. Um, so we're one of the world's uh, leading specialty chemical companies uh, active in more than 100 countries around the world. And uh, our more than 7,000 uh, products make, for example, tires fuel efficient, uh, matrices more elastic, medications more effective, and animal feeds healthier. Just mention a few examples of what specialty chemicals are all about. And while we often contribute uh, only small amounts of material, those contributions really make the difference. And uh, lipids for uh, messenger RNA-based vaccines are just a very recent example. And also, uh, even though I gave up chemistry at school, uh, I have to really uh, also tell your audience, uh, the world without chemistry would really be dull, dark, and simply disastrous. So no iPhone, no LED lighting, no almost everything, including this podcast and also including any type of uh, uh, platform. And so basically everything in our daily life is centered around chemistry from the food we eat to to personal health care to mobility and in essence uh, the chemical industry is the industry of the industries and you could say we make stuff for stuff and therefore uh, it might be also really a good idea to think about how could we uh, not just uh, bring forward what we make but also the way how we deliver our products uh, to our customers and uh, that was uh, more or less the starting point uh, of our platform activities so with onto cam we wanted to provide a novel multi-sided e-commerce platform for the chemical industry and we decided to clearly position it as a neutral offering open to third parties. One reason to start an own development uh, stemmed actually from legal considerations. That back then, around the year 2017, uh, antitrust and trade compliance topics uh, seem to be really hard to control if you rely on third-party services. And so that uh, uh, the idea was born uh, when there is no such thing uh, available on the market, we have to do it ourselves. And so... Um you're, you're saying that, uh, uh, obviously, uh, you, you had in mind a multi-sided platform, but I, I assume this means that you saw some um, uh, problems or inefficiencies in the supply chain. Can you give a bit more details on what, why a marketplace? Yes, so you mean the what is uh, the core problem the platform addressed? And it's simple, uh, matchmaking. So the platform has developed to address the needs and challenges indeed of suppliers and buyers, and in particular associated with short-term transactions. So within our industry, typically everything goes long-term, but there is also the need for uh, this so-called spot uh, business. And uh, that was uh, actually what uh, uh, the platform has been centered around. And the technical solution uh, we did pursue uh, tendered a one-to-one communication between suppliers and buyers and all users, they could decide for themselves specifically with whom they want to get in touch. So suppliers and buyers had to activate each other's in order to exchange specific offers and prices 
and specific demands. And so actually, you're absolutely right. Uh, this is uh, in the context of supply chain management. So was this uh, complementary to the uh, uh, or, or an extension of the existing business? Because you're talking about spot business. Does that mean that Evonik uh, typically is doing more business in the longer with longer term transaction uh, transactions? And this was addressing kind of an extension or an acceleration of a niche market for you. Yeah, it, and indeed, it's uh, complementing. Uh, you could say it's a complementing uh, channel. And indeed, uh, this is not just a topic uh, for us, uh, being a specialty chemicals company, but it is, uh, and as we saw it back then, uh, it turned out that this is really a topic uh, which is very uh, uh, relevant uh, to the entire industry. And in particular, and perhaps we can also develop on the journey we took, uh, it was one of our business lines that was really looking for an efficient way to market production surplus volumes. And the surplus of product volume is in fact a nuisance for, for our sales colleagues that they must contact individual companies uh, and basically through classic uh, channels such as email, telephone, simply to try to find an interested party And this is, as you can imagine, both tedious and time-consuming. So the, 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 main, the main reason is about yeah, also sales, make, bring in more efficiency into the sales process and, uh, and uh, look at this available chemicals in the, in the stock you have. And um, so it takes a lot of effort to, to, to sell it. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe you can take us on the journey of one to chem. So mm -hmm. as mentioned, you started three years ago. So maybe you can describe so maybe two, three major milestones mm -hmm. uh, you went through on your journey. Yeah, as I try to line out uh, this specific uh, situation in one of our business, uh, um, the answer we came up with was to build what we back then called CamEasy, a simple web page that comparable to a petrol station signals, let's say, drive-by availability and price information. So what did we observe? Well, our business could observe customer behavior. In our standard systems, it's only document which customer bought when and what price. Frankly, we do not really have that much of data. So we usually do not know if a customer called us in the past and we could not serve or if our pricing was simply unattractive. And however, we could see who looked up now this web page and thus had a demand, obviously, and what pricing was not attractive to them. That was the idea. And as a result, the business actually sold a higher volume at higher price and even to customers they had not on the radar screen before. And exactly this was the starting point to what I call our entrepreneurial journey. So that was the first milestone. And we believed back then that we might have identified a true pain point, not just within Evonik, but in the entire industry, a niche that was not actively managed by suppliers, where there was maybe some room and willingness to experiment. And so we attempted to maximize our return on luck. So we pivoted Camisi to serve more than one supplier. And when we discussed this with Evonik colleagues, those we caused quite 
quite a turmoil. The mere thought of other suppliers using the exact same channel as themselves to possibly reach out uh, um, to the same customer in the end was and still is quite discomforting. And, um, and the disclosure of actual prices, that's the true beauty of this petrol station web page approach, that in Arena's further communication to place uh, an order that caused really a lot of concern, I can tell you. And um, uh, in first instance, we rebranded our idea. And that was the second uh, important milestone. One to come uh, was born. And thanks actually to the wife of our product owner who saved us from longer name discussions. Uh, and then the journey really pivoted and um, we further developed the idea of setting up this multi-sided uh, platform uh, branded uh, in a neutral way, uh, also attracting other parties uh, rather than our internal business. So from, uh, I've, I've picked some words along what you've been saying so far that are underlying, I think, uh, a lot. Uh, the, uh, the story is uh, the whole topic of trust. Um, you mentioned the regulations, the antitrust uh, rules, etc., mm. but also uh, the change of name to become more neutral. Um, the, I guess the transactions have to be secured. Also, the the perception of opening uh, the platform to other people or using other people's platform, etc. How did you? I mean, do you have a uh, did you have a holistic approach to trust, or did you address it as and when you saw? like operational problems or marketing problems or regulation problems? How, how did that handle uh, uh, this? So the, the trust uh, topic uh, was, in our view, uh, the enabler for any kind of uh, such a uh, digital solution. And, uh, um, and uh, we also perceived uh, that within our industry, there is this concern to lose control. So we tried to find a technical setting that was uh, 100% secure in terms of that only those parties interact that decided to interact. So it was not an open uh, place. Uh, it was really, uh, let's say, a dedicated decision from one party and the other party to interact, exchange information, and basically prepare a transaction. Because the transactional part that uh, was uh, carried out uh, outside the platform. So the platform had basically uh, no real backend integration into the ERP system, but everything that is needed uh, uh, to place an order and to also process an order, these information, they were provided in terms of matchmaking to the transaction uh, parties. Okay. Um, so it sounds like a bit like a dating platform. <laughs> so you have people finding each other and uh, started the conversations, uh, exchange informations and uh, help them um, yeah, to come together. And the matchmaking is always uh, a very, very important part in, in running a platform. Um, so what was the business model behind one to chem So 
Did, did you took a kind of a transaction fee or how how you monetized the platform? Yeah, that is, I would say that's the holy grail uh, of all platform approaches, in particular in B2B. What is uh, it uh, where you can make money with? And uh, to what what people typically think uh, that uh, yeah, you just get a what from the platform provider perspective, perspective uh, seems to be a minute share uh, of the transaction volume is typically if you're sitting in the shoes of the customer, the buyer and the supplier, simply uh, something um, you're not really willing to give away. So we were basically thinking about more a subscription uh, model plus uh, additional services. Additional services uh, that, uh, for example, cover the trade compliance check, which is something uh, which is really a must in our industry and everything that helps to accelerate uh, the trade compliance uh, check process, that is actually uh, represents a value. And so we were thinking about a subscription-based model plus charging uh, additional services, but not that uh, in, in, in form of uh, commission uh, fees or something. Yeah, this kind of pattern is something we also discovered when we, we, we also did a study with, um, we looked at over 400 B2B platforms in Europe and also analyzed how they monetize. And um, this is also what we saw that about 80% or so, uh, so really a big number of platforms monetize via value adding services. So, uh, so of course, transaction fees or subscription models, but always in addition to value adding services, because it seems like that this is a major pattern in B2B business or B2B platform businesses that you always need to add some additional values. And, and, and the ultimate value is uh, to, uh, uh, depending uh, on, on also the uh, network effects that can be realized, is uh, to provide market insights as well as to the supply side, as well as to the demand side. Uh, so that was the ultimate goal, having achieved uh, sufficient traction on the platform. This would then also uh, allow us to provide metadata on uh, certain specific uh, products uh, and, and, and the specific supply and demand situation. And this uh, piece of information is obviously very interesting to both parties. And from an organizational point of view, uh, you mentioned that it started inside Evonik and it was more entrepreneurship. Uh, how did that evolve? Did you spin out uh, the, the startup? Did you recruit people or did you continue with the core internal team? Yeah, gladly enough, uh, we just also uh, set up our dedicated digital unit, uh, the Evonik Digital GmbH. And so there was basically a kind of startup environment uh, where we had, first of all, also a certain freedom to operate uh, outside uh, the rather 
strict and sticky uh, um, conventional business processes, uh, for example, also uh, embracing uh, IT solutions uh, out of the ordinary. Uh, so this was obviously a, a cloud uh, platform approach and that was uh, also due to neutrality hosted by a third party. And uh, so these uh, ideas uh, to uh, even think about to host uh, services uh, on, on, uh, within a third party uh, environment, that was something where uh, our digital uh, GmbH environment was very helpful and uh, this is very hard to manage within the core business, obviously, because within the core business, you also have to protect the core. By this, I mean uh, uh, everything around the ERP system. And here we have this uh, yeah, startup spirit, but also organizational freedom uh, to try out, iterate, and uh, follow what is uh, also a pragmatic approach. And um, coming back to the journey, so one of the last milestones, let's say it this way, was that you also made a decision to close one to chem um, Maybe can you also give us some more background behind the decision and when it was and so on? Yeah, so the um, in the end, uh, you may also ask what went not so well. And uh, at the end of the day, it was the traction. And by this, I mean the overall adoption of the platform, both internally, so for our own businesses, as well as externally. And uh, I have to say, apparently, the industry was simply not ready yet. And so we tried out for two to three years. And even, I would say, in the year 2021, e-commerce in the chemical industry is still uh, at a stage of infancy with a limited penetration and actually regardless in which region of the world you are. And so in particular, the willingness to try out uh, also other, in the meantime, uh, uh, established competitive offers like Chemonis uh, from Germany or Node from the US seems to be evolving at slow pace. And um, this is very much, uh, in my view, similar uh, to a situation when other industries uh, decades ago picked up uh, EDI, uh, whereas within our industry, we were really questioning a long time the obvious benefits of the automation of uh, transactional processes via EI. And so um, the um, uh, lack of traction, plus the fact that uh, the competitive offers have been emerging, obviously very well financially backed. Uh, this were the main reasons. And uh, and last but not least, and this is, let's say, the good news uh, uh, along with this, uh, we had the opportunity to partner up with Cambit. And, and, and Cambit uh, is uh, a startup based in Oldenburg uh, in Germany. And uh, the colleagues, they developed um, the largest uh, meter search uh, engine for the chemical industry and so uh, we um, we found a way uh, to uh, you know, figuratively integrate uh, the matching uh, idea of one to chem into um, uh, the uh, cambit approach dear listeners i hope you enjoy our podcast and you can learn more about building and scaling a successful platform business 
I'm Matthias, CEO of Fastbreak One. And as you know, we at Fastbreak One are platform entrepreneurs by heart. Since over 20 years, we are building new platforms and this makes us one of the most experienced platform venture builders around the globe. If you are a corporate and you tried out different strategies, consultants, IT partners, but your platform initiative struggles to scale, please check out our assessment services. Learn more about our experience and our practices of work at our website www.fastbreak.one or send us an email to contact at fastbreak.one. And now let's go back to the conversation. So just when you're saying um, uh, that the industry was not ready, uh, if I understood correctly, it was not so much uh, not wanting to use a, a new vehicle, digital vehicle, but more a barrier in terms of culture of trying out other uh, vendors or, or other sources of uh, of uh, um, well, of products. Is that correct? Yeah, of course, uh, you can always ask what is now really the story behind the story. And here um, uh, we have to be clear about uh, that we have established processes. We have established uh, sales channels uh, within the entire industry. So I'm not just talking about uh, uh, ourselves. Uh, and so uh, you bring in a new idea within uh, an industry network that obviously arranged itself in the way uh, the business is carried out. And so uh, here um, the challenge is uh, to convince people that it is worth to also try out uh, what I call a complementing uh, channel approach in parallel, on top of the daily business. So sometimes people were telling us uh, we were so busy uh, by reaching out uh, to people uh, by phone and fax that we cannot try out your platform, which is obviously a strange uh, <laughs> reaction, but it's a human reaction. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, that's the whole point of the platform. But in the, I, I, I think, uh, as you're saying, this human, uh, a very strong human factor. Also, uh, like when when um, you have to use whatever new product, uh, it's not just for platforms. I think there's a, a, a lapse of time where you have to adapt. Right. Sometimes shorter, sometimes longer. But uh, it's like when you get your new smartphone. Right. You might know how to use a smartphone, but you still have to adapt a little bit to what uh, what it does. And I think with platforms, in this, it's the same thing. And that's why we also often um, uh, insist on the fact that the onboarding has got to be as simple and smooth and, and uh, easy as possible on platforms, which obviously is much, e much easier on uh, B2C platforms than B2B platforms, especially when yes. they are regulated like yours. Yeah, it's not just the, the regulatory uh, components obviously also matter, but it's uh, also uh, what I call the back-end integration uh, issues. And uh, so... Um, yeah, one could say uh, 
the problem a platform can solve in our tree industry is not that obvious, actually. And so the established processes, as, as I try to explain, and the what I call best practices in quotation marks, they are rather sticky. Yeah, what we also learn and when we look at platforms is that it, about, it takes about five years for platforms, so in average, um, to become very profitable. So really to see that this hockey stick effect uh, kicks in, that it really becomes profitable, network effects will show up and so on. And until the five years uh, mark, it's not only about developing technology capabilities, whatever, it's also about fighting against competitors, really establishing yourself in the market especially in those old industries like D2B, you have to yeah, take care of the business, of, of, the, of the users, you have to onboard them and, and so on. So it, it's, it's, it's a long journey, but after five years, um, it will show that a platform really brings a huge benefit. So looking at your journey with about uh, a time span of about three years, uh, would you say you've been a little bit um, too impatient or um, not patient enough um, to, to, to maybe hold on for two, three more years? Um, or I, I'm sure you also discussed it um, within your board. Absolutely. And uh, so, first of all, uh, we, come, we come from a world where we typically rely on classic, what I call cl a classic management approaches. So that is that we set ourselves a specific goal, calculate the expected return for different scenarios, evaluate all possible risk, and based on this, carefully single out the perfect uh, strategy and also the strategic uh, partners to set out the most efficient part, uh, uh, path for such an endeavor. Uh, and uh, you may wonder whether we followed this classic management approach with one uh, to Chem. And uh, I have to say, in reality, it was really quite different. So as I try to explain, a marketplace approach in our industry, in particular, when we set out with our development uh, back then, was rather rare to begin with. And needless to say, we, Evonik, had yet ever developed such an offering. So if you want to act on such an idea that is associated with a great deal of uncertainty, in my view, you are well advised to focus on who you are, what you know, and whom you know. In other words, start with what you have, with the means, imagine possibilities, and then take action. But you have to be uh, also clear uh, about how you can change your thinking from what are we doing to what is the impact? And yet, yes, uh, you may, uh, you, can, you can say uh, it typically takes five years. If you ask me, I would even say it takes more than five years, more takes seven years, even in the B2C space sometimes. And uh, uh, we, for example, we used uh, objectives and key results, uh, the objectives and key results framework to closely follow. And we simply did not uh, experience this trigger point uh, that um, yeah, gave us the confidence that further patience can be justified. So we were also 
following an approach uh, where we were very clear about the affordable loss. So what are we willing to invest on our own behalf and um, where uh, uh, do we come to the uh, conclusion uh, that uh, also taking uh, um, into account that in the meantime, competitive offerings have been established when there is a point where you simply have to say we should really reiterate, really re-pivot uh, the entire approach like we did with Cambit. Uh, uh, and uh, in parallel, we also thought uh, uh, we are not willing to uh, be, stay unprofitable for such a long uh, period of time. Uh, so we um, said there are other uh, offerings outside and uh, we don't really have to invent everything on our own behalf. So uh, here that was the decision that has been taken and uh, the future will tell us whether we were too impatient or whether it was exactly the right strategic decision uh, to um, refocus uh, on what you can achieve uh, over time. I, uh, I'm wondering, uh, um, of course, you don't have a crystal ball, uh, we don't either, but do you think that if instead of maybe building the platform by yourselves initially, you had partnered with, I don't know, two or three other um, chemical industries uh, or, or maybe even competitors, but mm. more as an ecosystem approach, ecosystem mm. approach. Do you think that would have could have changed uh, things, or you know, just I, a, a guess? I guess, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> what's your I can, your I, I, I can tell you a secret that was ever my idea uh, to transform our ecosystem approach and uh, it was not really uh, just by chance that we uh, decided to go for a neutral branding so it was from the very start the idea to bring in other uh, even competitors uh, uh, to form a consortium uh, with other companies uh, within our space uh, because I also expected that uh, we will have this traction issue. And so, indeed, uh, we tried uh, to partner up with our other chemical companies. Um, but in the end, uh, we um, could not manage uh, to uh, yeah, come to an agreement uh, about uh, also the strategy and uh, many aspects uh, along with this, what is the right fulfillment strategy, what is the right monetization strategy. And so, uh, unfortunately, uh, we were not successful in putting together uh, a sustainable consortium, but the idea was uh, there from the very start. And uh, on top of this idea, I also ever thought uh, that uh, to grow the platform and get out of the dilemma that uh, growth uh, uh, goes uh, against profitability was also thinking about uh, venture capital injections and um, 
but uh, we did not manage to get to this point. But that was part uh, of the strategic approach uh, to uh, um, partner up with other peers and uh, ultimately also to um, foster the platform development uh, in terms of financial resources to also tap in venture uh, capital. But we never came to this point, unfortunately. So I uncovered a secret. <laughs> but but the secret is also that you are not alone with your thinking. So uh, with yeah, that's, other that's, platforms that would, and other other companies, and also for example yeah. the famous, the other famous example of XM materials and so on. They, they are just they are going through the same learning journey. So establishing a platform in a B 2 B environment. Um, There's always those kind of strategic components to it. What is the implication to the market and to to the competitive landscape and so on? So also your 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 customers are then telling, uh, maybe I have a look one time at your platform, but I don't really will use it uh, all the time because maybe it gives you too much too many insights. So whatever, so they kind of block it and. Uh, And so it's, it should be always a kind of a good approach and should be part of your platform strategy to partner with other competitors and other market players. Yeah, and, and, and also one uh, other aspect is in the end, uh, a platform only will survive uh, when there is enough uh, supply. And uh, we also within these two to three years uh, faced uh, periods of time And we have simply been uh, within the industry in a kind of allocation mode. So there was basically uh, no product left that could be uh, traded via other channels because uh, the, the, the uh, classic channels, uh, be it uh, long-term contracts, be it uh, distributor agreements, uh, they were basically consuming uh, the entire supply. Then uh, also platform Uh, runs out dry and uh, that was also a reason that I thought we have to really be open from the very beginning and the more uh, partners we can not just attract but also bring in uh, also for strategic realignments and further strategic developments the better uh, but here we had to also um, simply uh, state uh, that uh, um, I would say the starting point uh, within the industries were rather distributed so we had our own development and I also am happy to share what it really means our own development because here also um, one recipe of success even though at the end it's not successful was to partner up uh, with uh, the right partner that can help you also to foster the software development for example so there were many I would say different views uh, on many topics that make up uh, a platform. And then uh, we had to say, okay, it's not, uh, uh, we cannot achieve uh, this uh, joint view on the entire topic. So I keep my fingers crossed for the competitive <laughs> offers that are in the market. Uh, I mentioned, uh, came on this and note, uh, these are, in my view, really some promising uh, candidates, uh, but uh, I'm pretty sure they, in a way, are also facing the same experience like we did. And, um, yeah, and as you said, um, the starting point or the reason why you started this platform to kind of getting rid of overstock material uh, uh, went away, this problem, uh, because the market changed, the demand changed, the supply side changed. So the, the, the original reason changed. Um, but coming back to your point about traditional management, um, 
I sense a bit that you also bring in, or you brought in a kind of an, or maybe it's still part of your journey to bring in a kind of a new learning culture into a very traditional company like Evonik. And I can imagine it's very traditional, very classic approach. As you said, uh, you set your milestones, you set your roadmap and so on. And then very often what we also see is that in those traditional management companies is that they don't wa really want to um, tell people, ah, maybe our plan was, was, was not right. So they, they fear a bit of uh, telling people, hey, we, we, we failed. So I think what you bring brought in into this traditional company is a kind of a learning culture to say, yes, we try out things. And this is always part of digital companies. It's kind of a startup DNA. We bring this to this classic company where we try out things. Of course, we set KPIs, we measure KPIs and we have some specific goals. But if it does not really turn out as we thought of, hey, we close and we take the learnings with us. And maybe in some years we can reopen up, uh, change a bit and so on. But it's not really a failure. It's more like we have to establish this kind of learning culture. Um, so is this something what you would say, this is uh, maybe one of the biggest achievements of the of your journey? Or? Oh, actually, uh, and um, uh, so the reason that I'm happily sharing what we learned, I think there have been really many, many achievements. Um, and uh, this culture of learning and also the startup uh, spirit uh, inside uh, a company like Evonik, that is clearly uh, a big, a big plus. And um, in addition, This entire exercise that was representing what I call necessary groundwork in order to develop also a better understanding which role platforms can and will play in our ecosystems. And uh, we could also pave the way uh, for um, the future of uh, the entire marketing and sales experience because uh, what we have not mentioned so far is also everything around uh, um, customer journeys, uh, digital customer experience. And uh, this is something you cannot just run in PowerPoint exercises. Here, this was, uh, we were on the market. We had a go-to-market. We had a go-to-market approach. And, uh, and in fact, um, uh, we were successfully also transferring our learnings uh, to other platform approaches within Evonik, uh, 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 for example, in the area of precision livestock farming. So we are a producer uh, of uh, feed solutions uh, for animal uh, nutrition. And in this regard, uh, we are also bringing together um, animal health uh, and uh, health and nutrition and uh, farm management uh, um, uh, considerations uh, also in form of a platform approach. And we could really starting off with the branding, starting off also with the software technology and what it means uh, to also develop uh, according to agile methodologies uh, and uh, um, applying Scrum principle and so on and so forth. So um, what we invested in terms of personal resources, but also in terms of uh, services we sourced uh, in from third parties, it was worth every single euro. So even the outcome may be a little bit disappointing from the 
starting point uh, perspective, but in the end, it was a big success in terms of organizational learning. And so if you ask what went well, the learning of new skills, as you say, we practice agile working methods. We rotated our team to leverage also uh, our collective experience from other e-commerce activities. Uh, we had at that point in time also, for example, operated a B2C shop um, or uh, we set up uh, a digital customer experience program for the entire Vonny group. And uh, we also reinforced our team uh, wherever we had the chance with young colleagues from internal training programs and uh, also with uh, interns. And so uh, in the end, we really delved into digital marketing and a customs, for example, also with analytics tools and everything around it. Yeah, and I like your point you mentioned at the beginning. So to say this is necessary groundwork for every company uh, to do this and to explore platform opportunities since maybe not only one so you're a big company so there are plenty of opportunities and then also transferring the learnings from one opportunity to the other one this is really really important um so coming to maybe to an end looking at the time of our conversation um so you are also an executive and experienced um what would be might be um Uh, an advice or a learning you would like to give other executive, other uh, companies who are also thinking about uh, approaching a platform strategy? Um, that's a good question. Um, and I'm glad uh, that you asked me before uh, the recording to think about the question. So I would say it's absolutely okay to be misunderstood for a while but never underestimate the resistance to change, even if you have a good idea. So do you recall, uh, for example, Steve Ballmer, the back then uh, Microsoft CEO saying in 2007, that was basically, by the way, the foundation year of Evonik. And he said, there is no chance that the iPhone is going to get any significant market share. So ultimately, change is stressful and people avoid it because they want to avoid pain, frustration, and also lack of confidence that goes along with it. And that would be my advice. Uh, uh, you can, uh, you have to embrace change, but uh, not just for yourself, but you have to also find uh, a way uh, for a proper change management if you try to set up something like a platform approach. Yeah, thank you very much. And I also like uh, a quote here about uh, sports. As you know, we, we are sports fans, uh, so you can't win a game sitting on the sideline. So you always have to go in and uh, and play and give your best and try things out. So and without trying, you can't win. Uh, so. It was really a pleasure to listen to you. And we also can all, uh, recommend to our listeners our assessment. So we have a st uh, developed also a platform assessment for companies who are running a platform business and want to check different perspectives to understand if you are on the right track, what can be improved and so on in a structured and systematic way. Um, so totally rec recommend this. And um, yeah, Henrik, very uh, big thank you for being so open and um, give us your lessons learned. And Natalie, you also have... Yes, I wanted to also uh, thank 
uh, Henrik very much because when I uh, we discussed uh, doing this recording, I was actually very excited because for once we were not, you know, going to talk about what went wrong. <laughs> and uh, this is quite unusual and we should be talking about these things a lot more uh, because it's, as you said, absolutely worth every uh, step, every penny you put in it because you're learning so much. I guess uh, maybe in Europe we don't have as much that culture of, uh, of uh, uh, you know, we're so, I can talk for France at least, we associate failure with failure and not with learning. And uh, and I think this is really a shift uh, we have to take. So I was really excited about this and thank you very much for being uh, so open with us and uh, and sharing uh, for sharing all those views. Yeah, it was a pleasure and I very much uh, enjoyed the conversation. Thank you very much. And um, yeah, we are also looking forward to see more platforms come uh, uh, born out of Ebonic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Now we put our energy into uh, supporting our colleagues within the Cambit startup. So you can expect more from us. Great. And thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Stay safe and sound. And uh, thank you so much for the opportunity to share some learnings. <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by Fastbreak One, your platform venture builder. If you want to learn more about our services and how we help corporations to launch and scale platforms, please visit our website www.fastbreak.one. And don't forget to tune in in two weeks for a new episode.